The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. John chapter 20, I'll be reading verses 24 through 31 as we continue in our series on the Apostles' Creed, working our way through line by line. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. Remember, this is the Word of God. It is true, and it is a precious gift. May you receive it as such. Hear the Word of the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God this evening. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise that you will send it forth with your power to accomplish your will. Lord, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things out of your word this evening, that you might grant us faith, And we would trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, we are gathered here this evening to worship the one true God, the living God, our great God and King. And at the same time, there are probably over a hundred million people gathered around flat screen TVs and living rooms across our country right now to watch a game, a football game. Now, admittedly, as far as football goes, it's a pretty important game. But they're there to cheer on either the New England Patriots or the New York Giants, maybe to cheer on Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, or Eli Manning, the quarterback of the New York Giants. And 
As we speak right now, Tom Brady could be dropping back and lofting a touchdown pass to one of his tight ends. And some of you would be excited about that. And some of you would be discouraged about that. And some of you couldn't care less about that. And you're wondering why I'm bringing those images to your mind. Because now you might be distracted for the rest of the service. You're already wondering when, some of you are already wondering when, you'll be able to go home. But the reason I mention that is because Tom Brady actually said something that is very relevant to what we're going to look at this evening. Several years ago, in 2005, he had an interview with 60 Minutes. And they wanted to talk to him because at that point they considered him to be a pretty important person in our world. Definitely one of the most famous athletes at the time. People were interested in his life, what he was doing, what he had to say. In fact, at that time, he had won three of the previous four Super Bowls. Two of them he was the MVP of. And so they sat him down to talk about all of his accomplishments. But he said something very interesting during that interview. Tom Brady, Super Bowl MVP, two times. At that time, the youngest quarterback ever to win the Super Bowl said these words. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Words from Tom Brady himself. And the interview followed up that statement by asking him, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady was at a loss. He said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Well, the good news for Tom Brady and the good news for us is that there is an answer. And there is a got to be more about life out there. And John, the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knows the answer. He knows the more, and it is found in Jesus Christ. And that's why John wrote this book, so that we would know the answer, so that we would know the more. If you would look through the Gospel of John, you would see that the Bible says some amazing things about Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, it says that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen God himself. The Bible in the Gospel of John says that you cannot come to the Father except through Jesus. You cannot have a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus, rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. And it was talking about the Holy Spirit. So if you believe in this Jesus, God himself will live in you through his spirit and flow through you in ministry and love to others. In the Gospel of John, the Bible says that if you follow Jesus, you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. You will know the answer. It says that if you come to Jesus, you will never hunger. And if you believe in him, you will never thirst. So you will never say there's got to be more because you will have found it in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. 
And that if you believe in Jesus, though you may die, you will live. And if you live and believe in Jesus, you will never die. The Bible says that to know Jesus is eternal life. And that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you will have life in his name. Amazing things in the Gospel of John. How wonderful it would be if they were true. And John says, they are true. And it is wonderful. And it is the answer. And it leads to life. That's what John has been trying to show us through his gospel. He has told us these things so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And that by believing we would have life in his name. So that we would experience There's got to be more that is out there and that Tom Brady was wondering about. Well, as we think about that this evening, I want to start by examining what it is that John wants us to believe. His statement there in verse 31. And then we'll back up and look at the encounter that Jesus had with Thomas. But what is it that John wants us to believe? He makes a statement. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So what does he want us to believe about Jesus? Well, if we take a moment to reflect on that name, Jesus, the name Jesus identifies the one that we are to believe in as a historical person, a real, living, breathing man who walked on this planet. Just as real as you and I are here today, Jesus lived on this planet at a specific time in history. He had a real birthplace that the disciples knew. That you can visit today. Maybe some of you have. Bethlehem. He came from a town. Nazareth. That many of them had been to. The disciples had seen Jesus with their own eyes. They had walked with him. And talked with him. They had heard him speak. They had been close enough to him to touch him. And smell him. And eat with him. He was a man like them. He was fully human. And yet. He was a man completely unlike them. At the same time, completely unlike us, there was something, there is something qualitatively different about Jesus. Something that set him apart and sets him apart from all others. And you begin to see that even in his very name, the name Jesus, which literally means God saves. So when the angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, and he said to Joseph, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus points to the humanity of the one that we are to believe in. It identifies the one from history that we are to place our faith in, and yet at the same time, it begins to point to his saving work. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, but instead a title. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. This title identifies Jesus as God's appointed Savior King. Jesus is the one who would set up God's reign and deliver God's people. He's the one who would come to rescue God's people by dying in their place. The promised Messiah, the anointed one that the Jews had been waiting so long for. So to say that Jesus is the Christ 
is to acknowledge that he has the decisive place in all of human history. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. All of human history, from beginning to end, is moving towards glorifying this Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what life is all about. Everything revolves around him. He is the blazing center. He is the answer. He is the more. To confess that Jesus is the Christ is also to acknowledge him as the king. As the one who exercises universal dominion over all men and women everywhere. He alone has absolute sovereign authority. He reigns over all. So, President Obama, Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney, Tom Brady, Eli Manning, John Piper, Michael Rogers, you, your children, your grandchildren, not one of them take a single breath or lift a finger or have a hair fall from their head apart from the will of Jesus Christ. He reigns over all, over every single person ever. There was a king in the Old Testament who experienced this reigning power of God. And he responded by saying, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does, according to his will, among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Abraham Kuyper said it this way, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus is the Christ. He is also the Son of God. Or in our creed, we confess, I believe, in Jesus Christ, His only Son. But what are we saying when we confess that? What do we mean by that? We're not saying that Christ alone is the Son of God. For one of the precious truths of our faith is that as we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we also have the privilege of being adopted into God's family. And having all the rights and privileges of being the children of God, sons and daughters of God. So instead, we need to understand that this is a term of uniqueness. When we say God's only son, we're referring to his unique son or his one-of-a-kind son. And that's the way the term is used throughout the Bible in passages such as John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or John 3.16. Right now, somebody's probably holding that up as a banner. We're looking at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only, his one of a kind, his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is God's unique son, his one-of-a-kind son. So when we confess that Jesus is the son of God, we are acknowledging his deity, that he is divine, that he is fully God in the flesh. And it's at this point in our creed where we part ways with 
Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and Muslims and Jews and all the other religions of the world. You see, many of them would be able to confess that first paragraph of our creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But when we come to the second major section, in that first line, this is where Christianity stands apart with what we believe about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, Jesus is not just a God-inspired good man. He's not a super angel. He's not the first and finest of all creatures. And this is an important distinction to make. We do not believe that Jesus was created, but that he was eternally and is eternally existent with God the Father. If you open your Bibles to Revelation 1.8, you'll see Jesus Christ say himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the eternal, almighty God. And throughout scriptures, Jesus is not called God because he is just far above all men. He is not a God, but he is the God, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. He is fully God. Now, many have a hard time believing this about Jesus. You know, Tom Brady may have everything this world has to offer, but it still leaves him wanting more. There's got to be more than this, he said. And he didn't realize it. But what he was looking for can only be found through knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. But it's not only those who are caught up with the pleasures of this world that may struggle with doubt and with disbelief. Because in John chapter 20, we see that Thomas, one of the twelve disciples, he himself struggled with doubt and with disbelief. Imagine that. Someone who had spent three years with Jesus, had seen him with his own eyes, had heard him speak, had watched him perform miracles. Thomas struggled with doubts. He had his questions too. When we come to verse 24, we see that we are at a portion in the life of Jesus where Jesus has been crucified, buried, and risen to life. And he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas, for some reason, was not with them. So Thomas hadn't seen him yet. But the disciples came and they told Thomas, they said, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. But Thomas doubts. And he doesn't just doubt. He says, unless I see him myself, unless I see the scars and touch him, I will never believe. So Thomas was a doubter at that moment. He wanted or he needed evidence or proof. And you know, there are many people in our world like Thomas. Perhaps you're like Thomas struggling with your doubts and your disbelief and wanting evidence or wanting proof. But, you know, for some people, this is really just a rejection of Jesus as Lord. It's not that they don't believe Jesus is who he said he was, but it's that they don't want to bow their knee to him as their Lord. And the reality is they love their sin more than Jesus. And so they hide their rebellion behind this mask of intellectual doubt Is that you or someone you know? But for others, 
They simply need to look at the evidence, to hear it, to see it. Many of you know Jason Waldo, a member of our church here, and he's been a member of our youth staff, our volunteer youth staff for several years. And uh, we've had the privilege of hearing his testimony. You know, when Jason came to this church for the first time, he probably would have described himself as an atheist, did not believe in God, did not believe that Jesus was God, did not believe that he had rose again from the dead. In fact, when Jason was in high school and college, he shared with us that he enjoyed debating Christians and mocking them for their beliefs. But he came here, and Dr. Rogers encouraged him to investigate the evidences for the resurrection. And Jason did that through the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, and he honestly sought it out, and he came to be convinced that this was true. Jesus is alive. And when Jason shared his testimony, he said this, he said, well, what do you do when you're confronted with the reality of the resurrection? He said, you follow. You follow this one who is Jesus, the Christ, the Lord. And that's what Thomas is experiencing here in his encounter with Jesus. Thomas needed to consider the evidence and the reality. And just as a side note, for a moment, think about how wonderful it is that Thomas is here. You know, when Jesus first appeared to the disciples, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't with them. But those disciples, his friends, they went and found Thomas. And they told him this glorious grand good news. Thomas, Jesus is alive. And so a week later, when Jesus comes again, that time Thomas is with them. So are there people in your life who are struggling, who are wandering, who are doubting. Maybe you could love them and befriend them by telling them Jesus is alive and pointing them to the Savior. It's wonderful that Thomas is here in verse 26, a week later. And it's also wonderful that Jesus meets him where he's at. And he comes to him and reveals himself to him and gives him the evidence for his resurrection when he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Jesus shows Thomas the evidence, but then he also gives him this call to believe. Thomas, do not disbelieve. And why is that so important? Why should Thomas not just continue in his doubt and disbelief? Is it really that important? And the answer is yes. It is vitally important. Because there are serious and grave consequences to disbelief. Now John wrote this. The very reason John wrote this was so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? So that we would have life in his name. And the opposite of that is true as well. If you do not believe in Jesus, you will not have this life that he is talking about. You will not experience the there's got to be more that is out there. In John 10, Jesus said about himself, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will go in and out and find pasture. But then in verse 10, he says, the thief, comes to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, you will not experience the life to the full that Jesus came to bring. And it means that the thief is stealing from you and deceiving you and destroying you. And the Bible says some amazing things about Jesus. But it also has some severe warnings as well. John chapter 3 tells us that if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. But if you do not obey the Son, you will not see life. For the wrath of God remains on you. And you stand condemned already. No wonder Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. So Jesus calls Thomas to place his faith in him, the risen Savior. We've talked about what it is that we are to believe. But what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce Summarized it as the ABCs of belief. What does it mean to believe? Put it in the simple ABCs. A, accept the basic teachings of Jesus of Nazareth as fact. And Dr. Boyce used to say, this should be easy because they are fact. You know, the reason that many doubt them is not because they're not certain. The facts of Jesus of Nazareth as a real historical person are as well attested as any facts in history. But the reason many don't accept them is because they haven't really investigated them. And again, if that is you this evening or someone you know, I would encourage you to study the Gospel of John. Or encourage someone you know to study the Gospel of John. To see if what they say is true. To investigate the claims of Christ. So first we just begin by accepting the basic teachings about Jesus But then B, believe on Christ personally. Now this is more than simply believing the facts about Jesus. It's believing and accepting and submitting to them in relationship to yourself. It's believing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Jesus Christ came to die for you. And that He is the only way to God and that He is your Savior. Have you believed on Christ personally? Not depending on the faith of a mom or dad. Not depending on just what you know. But have you believed on Christ personally? And then finally, the C, commit yourself to Him. Trust in Him. Depend on Him as your Savior. Acknowledge Him as your God. Follow Him. Jason Wallace said, what do you do when you're confronted with the reality of the resurrection? You follow You're compelled to follow. You commit your life to him. There is no other appropriate response. You make the confession that Thomas did when he was confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. When Thomas was confronted with the reality of the resurrection, he saw the risen Christ right before his very eyes. What did he cry out? My Lord and my God. One of the greatest confessions in all of Scripture. Thomas is saying, yes, Jesus is God. But He also is my Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
This was one of the first confessions of the early church. A great summary of the gospel. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have life. You will know the answer. You will have the more. You know, to say that Jesus is Lord is to proclaim that Jesus has been given the same status as God himself. It is to proclaim that Jesus is the sovereign master over everything, with the right to reign over all, including our own personal lives. This is to give him more than just lip service. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Again, a serious warning. This is one of the most terrifying passages in all of Scripture as far as I'm concerned. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Have you made the confession that Jesus is Lord? You know, to say that with your lips can be easy. But to say it and to mean all that it implies and to submit your life to him and follow him takes a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Have you sincerely made this confession, my Lord and my God? Are you living your life, every area, for His glory? Are you submitting to His reign and rule? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's only Son, our Lord? If you do believe... It changes everything. If you do believe, you know that there is more to this life and you are enjoying this more. If you do believe, you no longer live for yourself, but for Him who for your sake died and was raised. If you do believe, you recognize that your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ himself was paid for you to redeem you out of death and bring you into life. And when you recognize that, then you recognize my life is not my own, but I belong to God. And I make it my aim to honor and glorify him in my body and everything that I do. If you do believe, you can say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. To live is Christ. That means whatever I do, my aim is to magnify and glorify the precious name of Jesus Christ. Whether I am here worshiping with the blood-bought people of God, or whether I am watching the Super Bowl, or whether I am doing whatever at home with my family, on the job, Wherever I go, to live is Christ. 
in everything that I do because He is my Lord and my God. To live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul had found the answer. Too bad Paul wasn't interviewing Tom Brady that day. He had found the answer. He had experienced the more that Tom Brady was looking for. Have you? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. May He be your greatest treasure. May you believe and have life in His name. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank You for giving Your Son Thank you that he willingly laid down his life so that we might have life through him. May he be magnified this evening and every day of our lives. May we delight in you. May you grant us a growing faith every day. And may we live to make you known. We pray these things through Jesus, the Christ, your only Son, our Lord. Amen.